I have my daughter and I don't want her to grow up in the same way. Right. And then my mom also poor money mindset. She was very dependent on my dad. She didn't make any financial decisions. And I was like, no, no, we're going to empower ourselves. We're going to be in control of our finances. And so that's kind of where I'm at now and just spreading the word to help other, you know, mujeres do the same thing. You are listening to the Say Hola Well podcast, a show dedicated to help stigmatize the idea of wanting more money as a woman of color. More money, more options, not only for you and your family, but also for our community. I am your host, Lucy King, Latina Wealth Coach on a mission to help more mujeres become investors in lunch and online business. Just like you, I used to believe that I could only earn money if I was mentally and physically hard. And after learning about stock market investing and online business, I can tell you that there is a new way for us to create a legacy while living our purpose and not having to work as hard for money. So if you are ready to dive into understanding your money mindset, entrepreneurship, and stock market investing, you are in the right place. Welcome to the show. Hello, Carmen. Welcome to the Say Hola Well podcast. How are you? Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to talk about money. Well, <laughs> all of it. I love it. So let's go ahead and start by introducing yourself for those uh, mujeres that are not familiar with who you are and what you do. So my name is Carmen Rosas. I'm an estate planning and business attorney in California. I also consider myself a legacy protector. And so we work with families and primarily Latinas who want to protect their wealth, their families and their peace of mind. I love it. And you're here because I want us just like you to build wealth juntas, because I believe mm -hmm. that is our time for Latinas to really embrace wanting more money, but also protect it. So we're going to dive into the topic of state planning. But before I get there, I want to ask you about how was your relationship with money growing up? Oh, my gosh. Well, I'm. it's funny because I feel like I'm still working on it, right? It feels like almost like one of these never ending things. But when I was younger, it's very interesting, right? And so I've done so much work around my money mindset and my money story. But growing up, like we were very comfortable. My dad was self-employed. He had an auto body and towing shop. So we never really wanted for anything. But also we grew up in a family. So my dad's from Mexico. My grandmother, you know, all of my aunts and uncles and everybody came here. So there was a family of eight, right? Growing up in the Bay Area at the time, it was not as expensive as it is now. So growing up, like we almost were considered spoiled because we had a little bit more than, you know, some of my other family members. And then also just watching my parents and the way that they spent money, right? My dad came, my grandmother being kind of growing up in like the depression era, right? While she was here in California. And also my dad growing up, they learned these like scarce city habits, right? Where they hung on to everything and like clung to everything. My grandma would get the like little ketchup packets and like little, you know, sugar packets from every restaurant. And she would be like, Miha, open your purse. And she would just dump them in because she didn't want to have to spend money on these little things, which I understand. I'm like, okay, fine. That was just the era that she grew up in. And so I noticed those. And then I actually ended up going to a very affluent private high school. 
I went on scholarship. There were probably 10 like brown and black minorities in the school. And these people, like I went to school with Larry Ellison's son, you know, they were taking like helicopter rides to Aspen and things that I was like, I'm working with my dad for the summer. Like we're not going anywhere. You know, the furthest we went was maybe like Nevada for Las Vegas or like Tahoe. So we weren't doing those things. And so my money mindset was very, I guess it has like a, it was a poor money mindset. And so as I got into like, it wasn't until I hit my thirties that I really started exploring like, why does everybody else get to have all of this stuff and not us or not me. And so um, I really dove deeper into that and realized that there was some really like ingrained like DNA ancestral things that were there that I carried from like my great great grandmothers and this mindset that passed on literally for generations unintentionally, right? Because everybody wants their kids to have more. And so yeah, and so I realized, all right, this is my time, I'm going to be the one to break it because now I have my daughter and I don't want her to grow up in the same way, right? And then my mom also poor money mindset, she was very dependent on my dad, she didn't make any financial decisions. And I was like, no, no, we're going to empower ourselves. We're going to be in control of our finances. And so that's kind of where I'm at now and just spreading the word to help other, you know, mujeres do the same thing. I love how you just share your entire trajectory <laughs> from what I actually know now that is a colonized mindset to this abundance mindset and how you just make the decision. It only takes one person to change that trajectory of more mujeres, just becoming wealthy and not just in the sense of let's have more dinero, but actually in the sense of like, let's feel wealthy and let's redefine wealth and let's use money to have a purpose. So thank you for sharing that. So with your trajectory as a state planning attorney, I want to dive into the topic of this um, specific part of finances that a lot of us don't want to deal with it. Let's be real <laughs> because we don't understand it. Right. So what is estate planning? Yeah. So great question. So estate planning is one of those kind of legal, it's legal documents essentially, right? I like to say it's an umbrella of documents and these documents, there's a mix of like four or five and I'll get into those, but they all work together to make sure that your family one doesn't end up in court. It reduces estate taxes if your estate is large enough right, as we building wealth and then keeps your family together because the number of times that I see people fighting over things that could have easily been spelled out in a document is really high. So that's unfortunate, but it really just protects your assets and keeps your family together and your peace of mind while you're alive intact. This was good when you said it keeps your family together <laughs> because a lot of us Latinas and women of color really don't understand that family dynamic can definitely cause a lot of money trauma. Yeah. And so we don't want you to go through that. Mujer. So let's dive into the components or the process of estate planning. Yeah. So estate planning for us at our firm, right, is like a four-step process. Um, so we, we begin when you start thinking about, okay, and for us, we, we approach estate planning as with a holistic approach. And the ultimate thing is legacy. One, how do you want to be remembered? And how can we protect your assets while you're building your goals? And if something happens in case of emergency. And so we work with the clients and we say, okay, what do you want your legacy to be? You know, so we'll talk with your financial advisor and say, okay, what are your money goals? Where do you want to be investing? Things like that. And we take an inventory of your assets. Okay, where are you currently at? And then we go a little bit deeper and we say, okay, as we're creating your trust, which is kind of the main document of estate planning that protects your assets, 
we'll explore if you have kids, how would you want it to be distributed to your kids? Or if you pass away, how, where do you want all this money to go? So yes, you're building it and it's great and you're using it while you're alive. But what happens if you become incapacitated, you can't make any more money or if you pass away. And so with the trust we use, we explore that, right? Who are the important players in your life? Who would manage your money if you're alive, but you can't make financial decisions? And the other part is who would take care of your kids? If you can't take care of your kids, who's going to take care of them for you? And then the other part is medical decisions. So if you're in a car accident and you're in a coma and someone needs to make medical decisions or decide, hey, who's going to pull the plug? Who's going to be that person? And the whole point that we create all of these documents is so it reduces fighting, right? So when things are good and everything is well and everybody's happy, we're making these decisions so that you're empowering yourself kind of down the line so your family doesn't fight with each other and there's no disagreements. Well, she told me this, or she told me that, or she said I could have her house. She told me I could have her car. And then someone else comes in and says the same thing, right? So making sure that it keeps everything kind of very clear for anyone you leave behind. How soon should people start thinking about this? Because I know I have some listeners that are young moms and they think that, oh, I'm going to wait until I have X amount of money to start (laughs) this. Like when should someone start thinking about estate planning? I always say if you're 18, you're living, breathing, you need an estate plan. So a little bit about estate planning, right? Normally it is like five main documents, right? So there's the living trust, which we talked about, which is like really protects your assets. And then you have a will, which means that if there's any assets that aren't included in that trust, it will pour over into the trust based on the will. It also lets the courts know, hey, I have a trust. I don't need to go to court. And then within the will, we do the guardianship provision. So then we have guardianship, who's going to take your kids if something happens to you. And then we have medical directives. So if you become incapacitated, who's making those medical decisions, financial power of attorney, who's making those financial decisions. So not all of these documents are just when you pass away. Not all of them are related to assets. So a will, healthcare directive, and power of attorney are three the three main documents. Like If you're like, what's the bare minimum I need? And you're over the age of 18, you need a will, healthcare directive, and power of attorney, because those documents at least will make decisions in case you're incapacitated. And I always say create a trust, especially if you know that you're building wealth, because it makes it so much easier. Your mindset shifts when you're like, I have this trust. And I always like to talk about a trust as a treasure box. Like you have this gaha, right? And it's everything you own goes in it. You get to lock it. You're in charge of the key. You can put anything in that you want. You can take it out, right? And so the idea is that we have this treasure box and we're putting stuff into it. We're building our wealth and you watch, you get to watch it grow and you get to see your list of assets grow. And you know that it's already protected in case something happens to you. Thank you for going over that. And I think that we have been so accustomed to watch the novelas right? When, when family <laughs> passes away and there's so much drama and Lorenzo se lleva, you know, yeah. like, like novella like, and so this is why estate planning is so important because we don't want to become the novella. We don't want to be that, you know, Lorenzo or, you know, Lucy that takes everything because it, it can be planned. It gives you a lot of peace of mind. But of course, as we are building wealth, there there's probably some mistakes that we need to make sure that we don't make. Can you go over that? Yeah, there's so many. So some of the even just kind of going back really quickly is like some of the preconceived notions, right? It's like, oh, I'm too young, right? Or I don't have enough, right? And living in California, your little house, quote unquote, right? The air quotes, like your little house can be worth over a million dollars. And when the courts are looking at whether or not you have to go to probate, they don't care if you have a mortgage, they don't care if you have credit card debt, they don't care if you have any liabilities, they're just looking at if they gathered all your stuff, what could they sell it for It's fair market value. So some things that people, you know, make the mistake of thinking, oh, I don't 
have anything, it's fine. Or they put it in their comadre's name or their compadre's name. And they're like, oh, well, we'll own it together because I can't qualify on my own, right? And so then the title, and so when they pass, then half of it goes to the comadre or maybe, right? I just had a situation where somebody put their, their parents put the home in the child's name thinking like, oh, it'll be fine. My kid will pass after me. But the daughter ended up passing first suddenly. And now the husband wants to kick the parents out of the house, but the parents were the one who actually bought it. But for all of the paperwork, right, where it shows title, the husband now owns the house. And so now that is a mess. And so people make the mistake of putting it in other people's, in their kid's name. That's one of the biggest, I'll just put it in my kid's name. And también when you put it in, say, for example, you have a house and your parents or, sorry, your parents have a house and they say, here, Lucy, you buy it for $1 and you get a good deal and we'll just transfer it and it'll be easy peasy. But when you go to sell that house in like 20 years or however you know you want to and they purchased it at 60,000 well when you go to sell it you only paid one dollar for it which means that when you go to sell it and it's worth a million dollars you're paying the difference between one dollar and a million dollars which means nine hundred and ninety nine thousand dollars in capital gains tax however if you just put it into a trust so instead of you paying one dollar for it your parents say okay we're going to put it into a trust and then you then they pass away and it transfers to you and you sell it at the date of death the date of death valuation is what prevails so when you're looking at capital gains well the transfer to you happened on pun death it was one million dollars you sell it it's one million dollars no capital gains and so that's one of the biggest things i see especially with the latina community is that we decide we want to put it in people's names that maybe we shouldn't right and there's other strategies like a trust that are more beneficial thank you for explaining that and you saying that it is actually part of the cultura that we because we are so giving we're like yeah let's help the comadre you know quieres tu casita like i should yeah. be able to help you right and it's so fascinating to me that you brought this up because I thought that it was just my family. <laughs> <laughs> it is so common, even with like spouses, right? Well, they'll like take the name off because they're going to buy another property. And then we end up with spousal petitions where we have to go to court because they just didn't think it was important. And so it happens like among, it's just a community thing, a culture thing, right? Where, so not just your family, Lucy, <laughs> everybody's okay. doing yeah. it, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, well, I feel not, I'm not alone. Yeah. So <laughs> you talk about the importance of estate planning as it relates to capital gains. Are there any other uh, estate or federal taxes that estate planning can help prevent? Yeah, so we have two different kinds of trusts, right? For estate planning right now, federal taxes are like, you know, 12 million per person, um, which is like 24 million. None of my clients are there, but in 2026, it will sunset, which means that the estate tax exemption will drop down a little bit. At that point, people really need to start looking at, okay, how are my assets set up? And at that point, if you are above the estate taxes, right? So right now, probably not a lot of us, 12 million, you know, per person, 24 per couple, but in the future, if you get to that point, you can create an irrevocable trust, which means that you can take a bunch of your assets, put it into this irrevocable trust, and it's protected from estate taxes, it's asset protection if you ever get sued. And so a lot of times there is some confusion around a revocable trust, which avoids probate, you have complete control over and an irrevocable trust, which is also an asset protection trust and protects you from estate taxes. And then of course, the capital gains tax. If you are ready to embrace wealth building as a first-gen professional through stock market investing or online business, I would love to support you with that through my private coaching. It is the most intimate way for us to work together. You will be fully supported with weekly calls, worksheets, and everything you need to create the money systems the mindset and of course the vision that you need to create a legacy 
this is what past clients have said about working with me. One of my clients said, best investment ever. You exceeded my expectations from the first call and until the end. Another client said, before working with Lucy, I was paralyzed in making decisions about my finances. After working with Lucy, I have learned that money can be simple and fun. Another client that I help with private business coaching said, Lucy is a badass Latina who helps you with limiting beliefs, money mindset, operating a business, and of course, learn about stock market investing. So if you are ready to work with a coach who understand what it's like to want more, I would like to invite you to apply to work with me using the link in the show notes. Now, let's get back to the show. So you mentioned the irrevocable trust. Because of the cultura and the novelas, there's a lot of drama of not trusting or maybe trusting too much. Who should be the trustee? If Correct me if I'm using the wrong term. Yeah. Who should be the trustee for that specific irrevocable trust? Yeah. So, I mean, trust, right? <laughs> Somebody that you trust. Like, that is really something that's super important. And so one is trust, right? The great thing is you can also create, I mean, even with the cultura, right? Having a bank, right? People are like, eh, I don't really want to put, you know, some people are still putting their money under the mattress or in a coffee can. And so it's, you know, they don't want to trust a bank, but it's somebody that they're very comfortable with that doesn't need the money, right? Because if they don't need the money, they're less likely to take from you. But then also the beneficiaries can be a checks and balance. And so when you come to a trustee and you're looking at a trust, the key thing is a trust, is, is trust, right? Somebody that you trust, and that's really what it comes down to. And sometimes that means, okay, well, I don't trust anybody in my family. I don't trust any of my friends. I am going to have to go to a bank and get their trust department to manage this on my behalf. And some benefits to that are that, you know, they could manage the assets, they can invest it for you. And then you almost have like a financial advisor or someone that's doing that for you. But they do cost a little bit more than if you had, you know, a brother or somebody managing the trust for you. Okay. Thank you for that. So I have a couple of questions from our audience. And one of them is, how should we navigate the conversation with our parents or papas if they are not comfortable creating estate planning? So I like to say that estate planning isn't about us, right? It isn't about the person that's creating it. It's the people that believe that they leave behind. And so I find that some of the conversations that are easier to have is when you say, hey, mommy, papi, like, if you're not here, like, how do I know what to do? How do I know, like, I need you to instruct me. And so it's like us as their children, right, going to them and say, tell me what you want, so I can make sure that it happens, right. And really putting it on them and say, you know, this isn't about you, it's about how you can help me because so much of as parents, especially, right, we want to make sure that our kids are protected, right, we will do anything for them, we'll die for that, all of these things. And it's like, okay, well, I need you to sign these documents and prepare them so that I'm protected down the line, because it's not about you, it's about me. And so having some of that like really hard conversation. And of course, right, nobody wants to talk about death. Nobody, even though we have, you know, Dia de los Muertos, like nobody really wants to talk about actually dying, right? And I have so many clients who say, well, if I sign these documents, that means I'm going to die, right? Me voy a morir. And so it's like, no, that's not true. And so some of this, we have to get over some of those blocks. And I think having the conversation and be like, it's not about you. It's about you protecting me and wanting what's best for me, like you wanted for my whole life, right? So almost guilt tripping them <laughs> back into 
to creating these documents. I appreciate you saying that. And I also <laughs> want to add that, like for me, I now have the, the state planning, but I have to think about long-term in the legacy, right? And my legacy was all about financial trauma, you know, fights over money. And so mm -hmm. that's what really sparked the interest for me to say, I don't want not only my girls to go through that, but I don't want my mother to go back to the things that she experienced in the past. So I have to protect my uh, my wealth, but also have to protect them from facing, again, financial trauma, financial stress, and all of that. So if someone wants to start this conversation uh, with an attorney like you, what is the best way to start that? Yeah, so I would visit some websites, right? Um, I find that most of my clients that come to me are referrals, right? Or if I'm speaking on podcasts, like people will reach out and say, hey, and even if you're not in California, right? I practice in California, but if you're not in California, I have a network of attorneys that I'm comfortable with and that are kind of on the same wavelength as me. And so I refer people out all the time. But the first thing is to talk to the attorney. In estate planning, a lot of the attorneys are white men. And so, so many of my clients clients are like, I did, I wanted somebody, you know, a person of color, I wanted a Latina or I wanted a woman. And so finding someone that you're comfortable with, it's almost like dating, right? But it really is, it develops into this relationship. Now, if you're looking just to create documents and you don't care about someone supporting you as you grow your wealth, there's plenty of attorneys out there that will help you do that, right? They'll just say, come in, you know, really fast in and out. But for me, I really think that developing a relationship with somebody or this professional, because what's going to happen is they're going to help you. They may help your parents. They may help your kids down the line. And so it's this almost you become this family attorney that can advise and understand at different levels of generation. Um, so really finding someone that you're comfortable with, and that really, you would want to have a relationship with like so many of my clients end up becoming like friends and they'll, you know, not friends, but you know, we, we get along, we can joke and it's just a really good relate like family is probably a better example. And yeah. I think that to add to that, having someone that your kids get used to as well, right? Because it's not just the relationship that you're establishing with the attorney. Uh, like I can think of like me taking my daughters now to have conversations with, you know, we call it like our financial team. And yep. so I bring my four-year-old, I bring my three-year-old to have these conversations. So they kind of get used to the idea that this is the norm, right? That there is okay mm -hmm. and safe for them to be in rooms with, like you say, like, you know, white men. Mm -hmm. um, but of course, like I'm all about like, let's empower more mujeres and do business with more mujeres. And so yeah. just being exposed to those rooms in those conversations is a form of financial empowerment. So Carmen, tell us where can people find you that way mujeres can follow you. Yeah, so you can follow me on Instagram, Facebook. Um, my handle is I am Carmen Rosas. And my website, you can visit Carmen Rosas Law, or you can visit CarmenRosas.com. So I'm if you Google Carmen Rosas Attorney, California, I'll pop up and you'll see other articles and things that I've written just with sharing information and resources for the community. I love it. And I am not going to let you go without asking <laughs> you what is one investment that you made in yourself that you wear terrified to make, but it has paid off in multiple dividends. And also what is your definition of wealth? Oh my gosh. Okay. Um, so many investments, right? And every time I make an investment, it's scary. Like I say scared sighted because I'm excited and I know what it's going to be. I think the most recent one was investing in a business coach that I know is going to take me to the next level, right? Like we're like, we're trying to be millionaires here. And so I'm, I do have a multiple six level firm, a uh, six figure firm. 
but I want to get to seven figures. And so investing into a coach that could guide me to that next level, or that has been like where I'm at, right? Because now I'm like, well, they know how to do it. So let me go and be in spaces with women who are looking for the same thing. And so that's been my biggest investment and the networking and the community and being able to, because attorneys in general, they have this very, like, you have like these really, you know, big criminal PF, you know, personal injury attorneys, but estate planning attorneys, they just walked around. So like, meh, like, you know, they just didn't have any life to them. And I was like, that's not what I want. And so being in this space with women who are building wealth and they want more money, and then also being around attorneys who are also building wealth. And it's like, it doesn't have to keep being done the same way it had, has been done, right? That it's okay for us mm-hmm. to do things different and shine. Um, So that's kind of my big invest. And it still makes me nervous every time I get my, you know, I get the the invoice and I'm like, here we go. You know, and I, and I tell myself one little trick for me is my investment is going to return to me tenfold, right? It's like 10 times is going to come back for me for everything that I invest. And um, my definition of wealth, oh my God, there's so much because for me, wealth is this holistic thing, right? It's like a mind, body, and soul. And it's when we're in this space of abundance, not only financially, but like mentally, spiritually, you know, religious, however it is. But for me, when I'm like deepening my relationship with God, when I am deepening my relationship with myself, building my health, exercising, you know, just, I believe that like wealth is just so much. It's, it's health. It's, like the mental, you know, part of it, the soul. So all of it, it's just, um, so for me, wealth is very holistic. It's not just about money. Thank you for that. (laughs) And yes, you will have the seven figure firm and it's not going to be just once. Like it's going to happen. It's going to multiply. And I cannot thank you enough for sharing your knowledge with all of us. I definitely will continue the conversation with you because when you hit that seven (laughs) figure, I want you to tell us when you were saying that like I want this that is part of my mission I want to help more women normalize the idea of wanting more so thanks again for coming to the podcast thank you Lucy so much if you are looking for additional resources to help you start your wealth building journey or online business make sure you check out our blog at say hola well slash blog Until next time, stay safe, stay strong, and stay inspired. On the Say Hola Well podcast and associated entities, all information provided is for general informational purposes only, and it does not constitute legal accounting tax or other legal advice. Listeners should not act upon the content information without seeking appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professionals. We assume no responsibility for information contained on this podcast and associated entities and disclaim all liabilities with respect to such information, including but not limited to any liabilities for errors, inaccuracy, omission, misleading, or defamatory statements. Usage of this podcast and associated content constitutes an explicit understanding and acceptance of the terms of this disclaimer.